Well, good evening. We're thankful that you're here this evening and for the opportunity to study together for just a few moments, especially any of you that may be visiting with us. Uh, and I just want the record to show up front that I asked Jim Dearman to preach, and he said no. He would just lead the opening prayer. So if it's bad, it's on him, not on me, all right? It's not my fault. Uh, we're thankful that Jim and Janice are with us. Of course, you may know uh, them better as Courtney's parents after she did such a fine job on the ladies' day, as many of the ladies said, and we're thankful for that family so much. And of course, uh, as, is, as it says on the front of your bulletin, uh, we support Good News Today and such a good program there that you can watch on the television and the, the times are there on the, on the front of our bulletin every week. It's one of those things you may look over, you know, you're so used to looking at the bulletin, but we are thankful for the good work that they do and as a chance uh, to support them in that good work, we appreciate them being here with us this evening. We are going to continue in our one-word study. Um, and this tonight is going to be a little bit tough uh, for just a few moments um, because we're going to think about grace. And the reason it's tough is because, I mean, we could spend a whole month and really a whole quarter on grace if we wanted to. Our uh, technology is not exactly cooperating. So I'm just curious that way, Heath, if everybody's looking this way, I'm not worried what I've done over here. So looking at this screen and not that one. But uh, technology is good and scary at other times as well. But we're going to try our best to talk about grace tonight. Uh, and that is something that is a deep topic, and again, we could spend a whole quarter on it. Uh, and as I've told you before, uh, you know, we try to do it in a few minutes, kind of as we've done with our Book of the Month Club, studying a whole book of the Bible and an overview in about 30 minutes or less, and even the same thing with grace. We're going to try our best to do that. And in using this particular study, and again, I usually have um, the logo up there for us to, to look at, but in that particular study that was done, um, you know, I kind of go through what the book touches on as a guide along the way, and we'll just do our best to touch on it. If you think about grace, for many of us, we simply think of it as unmerited favor. If you're to, to ask someone what is the definition of grace, you'll hear that phrase, unmerited favor. And the answer to that is yes, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not here tonight to give you some uh, greater definition or some greater understanding. I think that's a pretty good way, especially in a few short seconds to sum up what grace is. But tonight we do want to take a look uh, through this particular study. As I've told you, this is meant to be sort of a 52-week study, but we're kind of covering it month by month. And so we are up to week five, which is grace. And we'll take a look at the word for a couple of moments, and then we'll kind of take a look at a couple of the definitions that go along with this study as well. When we think about the word grace, and you think about the Old Testament in particular to begin with, the term that's usually translated grace is this, it looks like hen up here. Uh, I have trouble sometimes fighting with the keyboard to get all the different little pronunciation guides around certain letters, but it's pronounced more chain, if you will, uh, kind of like H-A-I-N. Uh, maybe is a better way, but that's the Old Testament word that is translated as grace, or what's interesting is it's more often translated favor. Maybe favor shown by one person to another. In fact, of the 69 times that it's used in the Old Testament, 53 of those times, 53 of the 69 times uh, that it's used, it's part of the phrase to find favor in one's eyes or someone's eyes. Eleven times that it's used, it is used to describe an individual's charm in the Old Testament. So again, as we try to take this, this 
big picture concept of the word grace, specifically in the Old Testament, we see this idea of favor or finding favor. So that's a, uh, just a brief mention of the Old Testament. When we come to the New Testament, uh, the word translated grace is this cherish. You may hear it something along those lines or pronounced that way, but it refers to, again, favor or a gift of benevolent, benevolent goodwill. Favor or a gift of benevolent goodwill. In the New Testament, grace is sometimes used to express the effect of generosity. And it occasionally refers to gratitude for generosity. Now that may not have been what you thought of when we think about the word grace. Because there are, again, many other definitions or many different ways we could take a look at it. But when you look at the words that are used, that's kind of the background there. And again, I'm not a Hebrew scholar or a Greek scholar, but just to touch on it for a moment, that's kind of the realm that we're talking about. A word of caution that the author of this particular chapter gives uh, by Jack Lewis goes something like this as we think about the word and the different ways that grace is used. He says the wide span of meanings that this word has taken, or excuse me, the wide span of meanings that this word has, has then makes it imperative that one gives special attention to any particular passage that he is dealing with when he makes use of that word. Now you may think if you're a Bible student, well that should be true of any word. And the answer to that is yes, absolutely. We should think about context. We should think about the particular passage that is being discussed because when we, especially when it comes to grace, there are some good ideas or some correct concepts, and there may even be some incorrect concepts as you think about the different ways that people describe it. Already this evening, I gave Don the heads up, of course, that we were going to be talking about grace, and he could choose any songs that he saw fit, but we've sung about God's unchanging grace, his wonderful grace, his wondrous grace. Grace, And in just a moment, as we conclude with the invitation, we're going to sing about his amazing grace. So which is it or what are we talking about exactly? And of course, we're going to try to get to that as we go through some of these different applications and some of these different passages. One to begin us tonight, look in Romans chapter 5 and 6. Romans chapters 5 and and six. Again, as we talk about grace, we could go to chapter six and think about many of the good things that are there. But what's interesting, when we think about what the Bible has to say about grace, Paul uses the term to describe the salvation event. More than any other writer, the Apostle Paul uses the term to describe the salvation event. Grace is not just a quality possessed by God. But it is actually a message that is proclaimed in the crucifixion. We don't have time, obviously, to cover both chapters. But in Romans chapter 5, if you turn there, and as you look down through there, Paul emphasizes that salvation comes from grace and not, so a contrast, salvation comes from grace and not our keeping of the law. If you look at the end, or excuse me, the, the middle part of the chapter, beginning in verse 12, looking in 13 and 15, you see that Paul is making the point that grace comes from salvation and not our keeping of the law. Well, that's an interesting thought when we think about grace, and it is. But he says as well, as we want the full biblical picture of this we have to go over to chapter 6 in verse number 1 because he is careful to stress with some questions there what shall we say then 
Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And there's maybe a couple of different words there. My, my Bible, the New King James, says certainly not. You may see God forbid. Maybe in the standard uh, human modern translation you'd find, are you crazy? Are you crazy? No, certainly not. That we would continue in sin so that we might receive more grace. That sounds sort of backwards. We might call it a rhetorical question, if you will. But just as Paul has been stressing that salvation or grace comes from salvation and not just our keeping of the law, he is also careful, and you might even say in the same context, to stress in chapter 6 and verse number 1 that receiving grace does not allow us to do whatever we would like to do. Now, when you look around us and you think about even those who would, who would claim to be a part of a denomination, many folks who are Bible-reading people and claim to be Christians would not really say that, but, but some people in the world might. Some people that would like to hold on to just a little shred of the concept of God, but never really darken the doors, never really attend services, never open their Bible, never really change the way that they live, but they want to hold on to, yes, there is a God and God loves me. They might hold on to this concept. That we can do whatever we want to do because we receive this grace from God. For Paul, grace means that we don't rely on our own works, but it also means that we are not free to do whatever we would like. Balancing that out may sound a little easy to us sometimes, but maybe a little more difficult to others. The giver of grace has the authority in our lives. When we think about that unmerited favor, that favor, that gift that God bestows upon us, whether you're talking about the salvation event or whether you're talking about the nature of God, when we sing about grace, when we read about grace, God gives the grace. He has the authority. And yes, we're not saved by the law, but at the same time, that doesn't give us the freedom to do whatever we would like. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Genesis chapter 39. I would like for us to share in our few moments together here a few of the devotionals that go along with this particular study this week. Genesis chapter 39 begins with uh, the story of Joseph or uh, continues on through there with the story of Joseph. And we're going to talk about that in our Vacation Bible School this summer. You may have seen in the bulletin. We'll have more information coming out about that. But that is the person and the study that we're going to go through. So we're going to talk about this a little bit. But I ask you a question that this particular devotional, first devotional, gives uh, as we think about grace. Have you ever run into someone you know in an unfamiliar context? Have you ever run into somebody that maybe you know, but maybe it's not the place that you usually see them? Maybe you saw your third grade teacher in the grocery store. So again, maybe it's years removed and you think, I, I know that person, but you're used to seeing her or maybe even him in the classroom. Maybe you run into your dentist at a basketball game or a doctor and you think, I know him, but I, I, you know, you're used to seeing him in the office as opposed to just as a normal person, maybe you think, at a basketball game as a fan. It often takes us a few moments to kind of place that person because we're so used to seeing them in a particular place. Even somebody that we might know immediately in different surroundings can make it a little hard to recognize. Grace is kind of the same thing in a sense. And we would notice from this particular passage as we think about the story of Joseph, although the New Testament reveals the grace of God toward humanity, the grace of salvation in Jesus, the grace of God in humanity is seen all throughout Scripture. 
Especially, again, as we think about it, maybe not out of context per se, but in a place that we're not used to seeing it. You see, a lot of times when we talk about grace, people think about Jesus. They think about the cross, and there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we recognize grace in an unlikely place. When we think about Genesis chapter 39, we find grace or favor in verse number 21. And that odd place that we find it in is a prison cell. Of course, Joseph is in prison, and in verse number 21 it says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor. Favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. God, or excuse me, Joseph receives God's favor. Now, you may think this is an unlikely place to receive God's grace in a prison cell, and Joseph at the time might have agreed with you as well and said, Oh, absolutely. I never thought this is where I would be. Joseph probably thought, well, prison sure doesn't feel like a blessing from God. If I'm looking for God's grace, it's not in prison. He's gone from being, of course, his father's pride and joy, we might say, to being framed and imprisoned. When he sits in jail, do you think that he maybe was tempted to give himself over to bitterness? I'd raise my hand and say, I think he might, and I certainly would have been. One to blame everybody else and maybe even to shake our fists or our hand at God and wonder what in the world I'm doing here. He doesn't know that his brothers have deceived his father. Do you think that Joseph ever might have wondered what his father was doing? Why is Jacob not coming to my rescue? But God is with him. We see it there in verse number 21 because that prison allows Joseph to come into contact with Pharaoh's baker and cupbearer interpret their dreams, and eventually, as we know, become second in command to Pharaoh. Grace in an unlikely place. He was able to do so many things, but, but only because he spent time in prison. Even though that wouldn't have felt like grace, God, of course, had a plan in what was taking place here. And as Joseph would go on later to explain to his brothers in, in what, a, what has become a favorite passage of mine and maybe one that you know and remember well, where Joseph explains to his brothers that what God was doing, the circumstances that he went through, God used for good. What an interesting thought to come through all that. And of course, Joseph's on the top somewhat at the end. He, he goes through the valley and back up to second in command, but he's back up, but he still says, you meant for evil. God meant for good. I don't know what you're going through or maybe have been through. When we think about the places that we come to in our life, maybe God is showing us grace even in an unlikely place. Maybe even a place that we wouldn't even expect. As I think about those in the room who have lost loved ones or gone through sickness, the many even on our list that we prayed for today. Even as we think about someone like our brother Don, as, as, as uh, Jim prayed for so well, we, we've been so concerned for him and worried about him. Who knows what doors might be open, what things might come about. God be willing that he makes a recovery as much as is possible. We never know when we go through different trials and temptations and struggles that maybe there is some grace amongst that. And even though that's hard for us to think about, we need to consider and remember that God will be with us just as he has promised if we will be faithful to him. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And we don't have time again to look at the whole chapter, but there's a lot of good things here in this particular context. But I would ask you tonight, even if you have never been inside the Oval Office, you have likely 
seen pictures of the United States presidential office. You know maybe its shape, its layout. You've seen it maybe in pictures or in movies, in different recreation or recreations, maybe in, in presidential museums or those kinds of things. There are many places, though, in the White House where you cannot walk without permission. And I dare say that the Oval Office would be one of those. You kind of are, are not able to stumble your way into the Oval Office. You simply cannot drop by and just walk in to the Oval Office. That's kind of interesting to think about because, you know, a lot of times it is such a high position, but we say, well, he's just a man or maybe even one day she'll be just a woman. She's a, a citizen or he's a citizen just like anybody else. Yes, but you can't really just walk into the Oval Office. Maybe you remember as well about the Queen of Persia who was not free just to come before the king. As we think about in the book of Esther, that reminds us that, yes, even the queen was not free to come before the king without him holding out his scepter to allow her before him. Yet notice in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 16 that the Bible says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. We can't go into the Oval Office. The Queen of, of Persia could not just, you know, come before the king. But how is it, as we think about coming before the throne of God, that we can do that with confidence? Notice there in the New King James, it says, boldly. I could not approach the president without some type of, of, you know, being a little bit humble, trying to bow maybe a little bit or, or being a little worried. I certainly can't go into his office. But how is it that we can boldly approach the throne of God with confidence? We know our sins. We know God's holiness. But what's interesting to think about is the fact that we can approach it boldly. And the reason is because that throne is a throne of grace. How is it that we are able to approach this place of holiness? God's grace and mercy are present to help us when we are in need. The answer to how is it possible to approach the throne of God? It's because it's a throne of grace. Chapter 4 here in Hebrews the book of Hebrews focuses on the rest, the eternal salvation which Jesus gives us. And the end of the chapter, there in chapter 4, reminds us of the help that God gives us when we struggle. We don't have to stand outside the door. We don't have to stand outside the throne room and holler and say, can, can you let me in? Can you help me? You know, we don't have to be as a peasant just begging to get into the throne of grace, to the throne of God. We can approach Him boldly because it is a throne of grace. We can walk before him with confidence, not the confidence in ourselves, but the confidence in him that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. If you have your Bible open there, you look back in verse even number 15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. We've talked recently about the word therefore, and of course then it leads into verse 16, let us Therefore, come boldly. We have a high priest who can sympathize. We have a throne of grace that we can approach. God, in his amazing grace, in his wondrous grace, has made it possible that we can come before the throne even as sinners. 
even as people with shortcomings, because he is ready to give grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. One more passage here this evening in your Bibles. Turn to Romans chapter 3. You may be familiar with Romans chapter 3 and the discussion here that we're going to talk about in just a moment. But the devotional for this particular day in this study goes something like this. You may have watched the TV show Shark Tank over the last few years. It's become a major hit, of course, because it allows normal people, like me and you maybe, normal people to come before these entrepreneurs and to pitch their products to them. To say, I've got this idea Maybe you can do something with it. Maybe you can give me some money or become an investor so that I can take this product and go out into the world. The Shark Tank, uh, the idea behind it, though, is that we have people who are self-made millionaires. They're uh, self-made people here who have done this. And we like that. I've mentioned this to you before in lessons, but, but the idea in the United States of America is that anybody can do anything. We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're willing to do the work. And anybody has the potential to make their own way in the United States of America. And as we think about this idea of those who even would go on this TV show and be afforded that opportunity, that's an interesting concept. But in Romans chapter 3, and really verses 21 through 26, and again, we won't read all of that particular passage, Paul provides an important reminder for us that when it comes to salvation, no one is self-made. When we really think about grace, and again, large topic, a few short minutes this evening, but Paul is writing here to Jewish Christians who often look down on Gentiles as well as Gentile Christians who are often hostile in return to these Jewish Christians. And what Paul makes very clear here is that all people have sinned. Do you know Romans 3.23? Maybe you don't recall the passage with the verse, but you know it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul makes it clear that all people have sinned. Neither group. And we talked about that even as well. These groups against each other, neither group could achieve the right standing before God on its own. And the same is true for us even today. Christians are called to live for the Lord, but no amount of our hard work, no amount of determination can earn us eternal life. The topic for this particular devotional that's at the top of the screen there uh, takes on the name Touch the Sky. And that comes from a quote that I would like to share with you by Hanley Moole, who is a British Anglican. He was a theologian, a writer. He was a New Testament scholar. But he, he put this quote or said this quote at one time, and I'd like to share it with you. He says, the harlot, the liar, the murderer are short of it, but so are you. Think about righteousness. Think about trying to obtain holiness. In our class on Sunday mornings, we've been talking about sanctification. Trying to obtain that. The harlot, the liar, the murderer are short of it, but so are you. Perhaps they stand at the bottom of a mine and you on an alp, but you are as little able to touch the sky as are they. Again, the idea coming that we are all sinners. Now, that doesn't mean that we should all just give up. It doesn't mean that we should all continue in sin, as Paul would say later in Romans chapter 6. But it does mean that we sometimes struggle and that we all struggle. 
And as we talked about in our Bible class and here on Wednesday night in the auditorium, when we talked about how do you deal with sin, we made the point that we all struggle with it. But what we like to do is we like to categorize it. We say, well, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a harlot. I don't lie very often. And we kind of categorize these things. But yes, we are all short of it. And we all need God's grace. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But perhaps many of you remember Paul Harvey and his idea that there is more to the story or the rest of the story. Because the good news of grace is that it doesn't end with Romans 3, 23. That's a, a typo there on the screen, I apologize. It doesn't end with Romans 3, 23, but go on to verse number 24. Because Paul continues on by saying, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The good news is that the story doesn't end in Romans 3.23, but that it continues to the gift of grace that is described in verse number 24. We do not make it ourselves, but the grace made by God provides salvation. As I think about grace, as I think about this deep concept, and again, so many different ways you can describe it, so many different ways we sing about it, even as we've done already this evening and as we're going to do here in just a few moments together. So many things we could talk about. But yes, we are all sinners. But yes, God extends His grace. Maybe to some of us that means a little more. Some of us look back and we say, well, I was raised attending the services of the church. I was raised by parents. I've been to church all my life, okay? Some people say, well, I, I've been in prison or I did commit a, a horrible crime and I had to come back from that, okay? Yes, we are all sinners. And yes, God forbid, or certainly not, that we would continue in it. But let us all accept that grace, that unmerited favor, that goodwill, that gift of God. Because it is so important to our salvation not of anything that we can do in and of ourselves, that we can get enough check marks, that we can earn enough to get there, but that God has bestowed it upon us because he has the authority and he has given the grace. Again, so much that we could cover tonight, but we'll have to stop there for the time being and ask you to consider your life in light of the grace of God. Have you accepted that gift of grace? Have you accepted that gift of grace in the form of salvation, in the way that God made possible for us to become a child of his, a Christian, someone who is a follower of Christ? Maybe you're here tonight and the possibility exists that someone in this room has never done that. We'll be singing this song, Amazing Grace, in just a moment, that you can be encouraged by it, that you can accept that. And understand that wonderful feeling. So many in this room as well can speak to that wonderful peace that comes with accepting that grace. Being added to the church by God so that you can begin to live faithfully. But sometimes we feel far away from that grace. Sometimes we feel like we are dirty, rotten, that we're lower than dirt, that we're terrible people and we don't deserve it. God still extends it to us. He extends it to us as well in the form of his second law of pardon. Maybe you're here tonight and you have become a Christian in times past, but you've wandered away. You do feel like maybe you're a little further away than God's grace will reach. It's wonderful. It's amazing. And he has extended it to you this evening. Do you need to become a Christian? Do you need to come back to him? You don't have to leave tonight with that question on your mind. God's grace has been offered and you can accept it by either one of those two ways. Maybe you're here and you need the prayers of this congregation to encourage you along the way. We'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.